Hello, everybody. This is David Opposed on the Matrix, doing it a second time. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I was doing a show here um, for the last hour. And um, I look to see, every once in a while, I look to see if things are going okay, because I hate doing things twice, which I'm doing tonight. But this is a special time anyway. So um, where do I go from here? Okay. So I was doing a show, and... Um, then I realized I looked up here and there's always a second window that shows the uh, where I'm showing tags from uh, Google or something like that. You know, and I noticed it wasn't there, but the sound was still playing. And so I went to, um, to one of the places where we, we live cast and um, I, I looked and, you know, there was a couple of times I fell asleep. That wasn't good. I've had coffee since then, so it should be okay. Um, and if I find myself falling asleep again, I will excuse myself and make another cup of coffee. Okay. Um, but, uh, anyway, all, all that put aside, um, I think I'm going to switch up the format a little bit. Um, what happened was, and you know, there's nothing worse than watching, uh, taped on sleeping on, on, so anyway, and there, there were momentary things. One of the guys on, um, on the chat room said, uh, Hey, you awake. <laughs> so I'll try not to do that again. Just, uh, I don't know the weather and, uh, the fact that it's dark out most of the time now because of the seasons and, and, uh, the fact that oh, I'm not feeling quite up to par, um, uh, all contributed to that. And, um, I, I promise you I'll get a good sleep tonight. So that when me and Brian are on tomorrow, it'll be just wonderful. Okay. So anyway, what I'm going to do is start this over again, but we're going to start in a different order. <clears throat> we're going to start. Okay. All right. Everybody can see this. There's little old me and I mean little, and there's everything else here. We're going to be listening first to, uh, Dr. Vladimir Slanko. He, um, He's given his testimony about uh, what he's done and the research he's done about the COVID uh, uh, death jabs, I call them, um, and uh, how he has healed people with alternative medicines like uh, like the ones they don't want us to use. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and, by the way, if you're on Insta, on Telegram, this is probably a good thing to get on i'm on his and i'm on a couple of more and i find out more on telegram than i find I ever find out on regular internet so um okay that in mind i'm gonna go here there we are and begin this and i'm gonna keep checking from time to time to make sure that things are kosher uh which the jab is not okay so let's start this let's listen to dr vladimir zelenko i think this video is about an hour long so um, if you want to uh, pause it, if you're, if you've downloaded it, go get yourself a nice cup of coffee, maybe some um, macaroons, if you like those or, or something sweet to go the, with the coffee or, or, you know, Anna's cookies or whatever. And, um, and sit back and listen and enjoy and, and be educated. Here we go. Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. Dr. Zelenko is a, I'll be darned. 
Okay, see, it's a good thing I'm, I'm checking these things. So, all right, let's go back here. And I will start it again. I'm the kind of person that if I come up in some adversity like this or doing stupid things, which I've just done twice tonight, um, I have to do it again. So, the Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. Dr. Zelenko is a bird certified family physician for over 20 years. He has been described by his patients as a family member to thousands of families and is a medical advisor to the Volunteer Ambulance Corps in Kiryas Joel, New York. Dr. Zelenko developed his now famous Zelenko Protocol, which has saved countless lives worldwide. So uh, welcome, Dr. Zelenko. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I would like you to uh, comment on our uh, subject, please. Thank you so much for having me. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Very good. So I'll just give you quickly my, my experience. My team has directly treated uh, successfully 6,000 patients. I've trained hundreds of physicians who are now training their students. And as a cumulative group, we've treated millions of patients successfully. Uh, President Trump was my, my patient. Rudy Giuliani was my patient. Reb Chaim Konevsky has been my patient. Uh, Rabbi Lit Mr. Litzman, your health minister of Israel last year was my patient. I'm, I'm just telling you um, which people have contacted me for care, and including President Bolsonaro of Brazil. Now, uh, my experience has given me a very uh, unique perspective in, in approaching COVID-19, which is basically keeping people out of the hospital. Uh, I would like to describe, the, regarding children, the only reason you would want to treat a child is if you believe in child sacrifice, or even the voters are. If you, if you want to be mocked of children, uh, like a carbon, a very good reason to give them the shot. Otherwise, um, there's no necessity. Let me explain. Any Anytime you evaluate any therapeutic, you need to look at it, at it from three perspectives. Is it safe? Does it work? And do you need it? Just because you have a capability doesn't mean that you have to use it. There has to be a medical necessity. There has to be a need for it. If you look at the CDC, the statistics for children under the age of 18 that are healthy, the survival rate is 99.998% survival rate with no treatment. Just like Dr. Yudin said, the influenza virus is more dangerous to children than uh, COVID-19. And he made an estimate that per million, a hundred children would die from the vaccination. I, with him, I feel the number would be significantly higher, and I'll explain to you the rationale for it. So, if you have a demographic, can you hear me? We hear you, excellent, doctor. If you have a demographic that has no risk of dying from an illness, why would you inject them with a poison death shot? Now. Let's see if this thing works. The two countries in the world that are most vaccinated its citizens is Israel, a high, like 85% rate of vaccination, and an island nation in the Indian Ocean called Seychelles, also over 80%. Both countries are experiencing a Delta variant outbreak. So let me ask you a question. 
if you vaccinated if you vaccinated your the majority of your population why are you still having an outbreak that's number one number two why would you even give a third shot of the same stuff that didn't work the first two times all right that's that's whether or not it works and let's talk about safety now this is the real issue there are three levels of uh safety or death that we need to look at one is acute one is subacute and long term acute i'll define from the moment of injection till three months the number one risk of the shot is blood clots just like dr yudin said according to the salk institute oh, by the way everything i'm saying i will defend with documentation uh, and please don't take my word for it you should do your due diligence and i can i can provide to you uh, proof for everything that I'm saying. According to the Salk Institute, um, when a person gets an injection of, of these vaccines, quote unquote, the body becomes a spike producing factory, making trillions of spikes which migrate to the endothelium, which is the inner lining of your blood vessels. And it's basically little thorns <clears throat> on the inside of your vasculature. As the blood cells flow through it, they get damaged, they cause blood clots. If that happens in the heart, it's a heart attack. If that happens in the brain, that's a stroke. So we're seeing the number one cause of death in the short term is from blood clots. And most of it is happening within the first three, four days. 40% is happening within the first three days of injection of uh, this poison death shot. Now, the other problem is that it's causing myocarditis or inflammation in the hearts of children. And uh, young adults, I'm sorry, in the hearts of young adults. And the third problem, which is the most disturbing, is according to the New England Journal of Medicine article, their preliminary data, the miscarriage rate in the first trimester, a woman gets vaccinated in the first trimester goes from 10% to 80%. I want you to understand what I just said. The miscarriage rate in the first trimester of pregnant women, when they get vaccinated, goes up by a factor of eight. That's preliminary data. It may change with time, but I'm just telling you what it is as of today. That's the smallest of the problem. The second problem is the subacute death issue, which is the following, that the animal studies that were done with these uh, vaccines show that all the animals responded well in generating antibodies. When they were challenged, however, with the virus that they were immunized against, a large percentage of them died. And when that was investigated, it was found that their immune system had killed them. It's called something uh, antibody-dependent enhancement or pathogenic priming or paradoxical immune enhancement. But the point is that a lot of those animals died. So you can make an argument, maybe human beings are different. My answer to you is maybe. However, those studies were not done. You are the study right now. The Pfizer CEO said Israel is the biggest laboratory in the world. And so those long-term studies to rule out, Dr. Luke Montague, who won the Nobel Prize in Medicine for the discovery of HIV, said that this is the biggest risk to humanity and the biggest risk of genocide in the history of humanity. And so the risk of a ADE reaction in human beings, which happens later, has not been ruled out. So my question is, why would I vaccinate someone 
uh, with a potentially destructive lethal substance without ruling that out first. And the third component here is the long-term consequences. There is definite evidence that it affects fertility, damages ovarian function, that it reduces sperm counts, number one. Number two, definitely increases the amount of autoimmune diseases. Who knows over time how that is gonna reduce lifespan. And just last week, a paper came out showing that increases the risk of cancer. So any way you wanna look at it, whether in, in the acute setting where it causes blood clots, inflammation of the heart and miscarriages, in the midterm subacute setting where it can result in a uh, pathological disastrous immune reaction, or in the long term, whether it causes increased autoimmune diseases, cancer, and infertility. Now, that's a big concern. Actually, I, I will say it this way. In my opinion, the current Israeli government is a Gilgul of Joseph Mengele. They have permitted, they have permitted human experimentation of their own people. And, and I'm going to tell you, I, I hope, I hope this basin is a little different, maybe not, but I know I finally understood what Chazal say, that if you see Tzuras and cholesterol, you should look at the Dayan Yisrael, Masechta Shabbos, that if you see trouble in the Jewish people, you, have, you should look at the, the, at the rabbinic leadership, because if that's, if the head is diseased, what do you expect of the body? So I beg of this basin to put the interests of cholesterol above politics, and anything else that may alter your opinions. I have, I received death, daily death threats. I risked my life, my career, um, my financial life, my reputation, my, almost my family, everything, just to sit here and tell you what I'm telling. So I'll, I'll just summarize it, that there is no need for this vaccine. And there's actually no need for anyone. And I'll explain. Children, I already told you, they, they have a 99.998% chance of getting better. Young adults from 18 to 45 have a 99.95% of getting better. This is according to the CDC, same concept. Someone who has already COVID and has antibodies, naturally uh, induced immunity is a billion times more effective than artificially induced immunity through vaccine. So why, why would I vaccinate someone with a poison death shot that makes inferior or dangerous antibodies when I already have healthy antibodies? And then if you look at the high risk population that has a 7.5% death rate, so my data, which was the first in the world, which I published in a peer reviewed journal, which has become the basis of over 200 other studies and that have corroborated my observations that if you treat people in the right time frame, you reduce death rate by 85%. So out of 600,000 Americans, we could have prevented 510,000 from going to the hospital and dying. And by the way, I presented this information to Bibi Netanyahu directly into his hands by way of a shliach in April of 2020. And I informed every single member of your Ministry of Health as well. 
So my, my question to you is, if I can reduce the death rate from 7.5% to less than a half a percent, why would I use a poison death shot that doesn't work and has tremendous and horrific side effects? And I'll do one more mind experiment with you. If everyone on the planet were to get COVID and not get treated, the death rate globally will be less than a half a percent. Now, I'm not advocating for that. That's a lot of people. That's 35 million people would die. However, if we follow the advice of some of the quote-unquote global leaders, let's say like Bill Gates said last year, 7 billion people need to be vaccinated, the death rate will be over 2 billion people. So wake up. This is World War III. This is a level of of uh, malfeasance and malevolence that we have not seen probably in the history of humanity. So I'm against child sacrifice. I'm against Avodazara. And I really believe that the God is testing every human being. here. And here's the test. Are you going to bow down to me, to Hashem? Are you going to ask for your protection from me? Are you going to take your, fe your fears and ask me to help? Or are you going to run to the Vodazar of the Egel Hazov, of the vaccine, of your governments, of, of despots and tyrants like sociopaths? Want to be deities. There's nothing new under the sun. These people are no different than Paro. They, thought, they think they're God. And you're going to bow down to them. If you're going to bow down to them, let's, okay. Let them protect you. Let's see how that's going to work out through. I'm seeing fear drive people to do things that are completely irrational, do not make sense, and they sacrifice their, their own children. And yes, your Ministry of Health is lying to you. Your statistics are absolutely skewed. If you want to see something real, there's a website called worldmeters.info. Go to Israel, and you can see at December 20th, there's a huge spike in the curve of death in Israel. Do you know what happened in Israel December 20th? National immunization started. And these are numbers being reported by the Israeli government. They're just too stupid to, uh, to hide it. There is zero justification, zero justification for using this poison death shot, unless you want to sacrifice human beings. I think I'm done. Wow. After, after, after these words, the doctor, I don't think you can ever say you're done. I very much appreciate your time and your effort. Very definite and very clear. We appreciate it, doctor. Do you have any questions? I have many questions. But uh, just, just to summarize, two billion would, uh, would pass out if we use 7 billion, the shot, according to what the doctor said, correct? No, not according to what I said, according to what world experts are saying. That the, the, if you look at Dr. Malone, who invented the mRNA technology as the original patents for the vaccine, he's saying, do not use this. The government is lying to you. The side effects are horrific. Dr. Cahill from Ireland said that uh, she believes that within two years, 90% of the people that got vaccinated will be dead. 
when Dr. Michael Yidden, I hope you can confirm, I hope he's still there, uh, was asked that question, he said he wouldn't go that far. <laughs> so I, I don't know, maybe it's not 90%, or what is the percentage? And maybe it's not two years, maybe it's three years. And Dr. Luke Montague, who is the Nobel Prize winner for the discovery of HIV, saying this is the biggest risk of genocide in the history of humanity. So it's just a bit, if you have six, six million that are received presently in Israel, correct? Is that the number? Three million. So three million. So if we take that percentage by three million, we should be seeing some 500,000, 800,000? Over time. Over time. 2.7 million in two years. America finished this 250 million. Dr. Zelenko, you. You, uh, you, you you mentioned studies that definitely the studies that came out that is definitely uh, uh, a cause of of, uh, of fertility problems, sperm count, and now recently a cancer research study that says that the, that, the, that it causes cancer. Uh, were, were the governments showed these these? Why are they holding back these things? We see all the time coming out studies. There's no problems of fertility, old bluff. No problems of sperm count, bluff. Cancer, bluff. Everything, everything that you said, we're being counted back by the by by not only by uh, the governments but by mo most of the medical industry is telling us that all these studies that say that it's not that that the that the that the vaccination is dangerous. It's all baloney and phony anti-vax crazy. I can answer now, right? Okay. Yeah. Can I answer now? Yeah. If yeah, you yes, sum please. every single person you just mentioned, if you sum total the number of patients they've treated for COVID, it will equal zero. And I've treated over 6,000 patients. So uh, you have to know who you're talking to. And I have no Nagias except the loss of my life. Now, what I'm going to tell you is the following. That, that yes, there's been a very coordinated effort to suppress life-saving information. Drugs like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, have, have, which are the safest medications in the history of medicine, have been suppressed. And you can't even get them in Israel. Um, doctors who dare to say something that is against the narrative are being deplatformed, including world experts, like Dr. Malone, for example, who developed the mRNA vaccine, said something against the narrative, was deplatformed from every media uh, platform. Can you tell me why? And then can you tell me why there is suppression of, of knowledge of side effects about this poison death shot, and then tell me why there's this incredible coercion, psychological pressure, and now using force to compel people to take the shot. You should be answering that question, not me. There is a coordinated effort here, and Israel's leading the way. Excuse me, the VIRS data in the United States is also not really showing the numbers that 
that you're saying okay. either. Okay, now you started. There's Sorry. data shows as of today, 11,000 dead people and 450,000 adverse events. First of all, that's not enough. What's your threshold of death? No, and that's a Okay, theirs is already admitting to that. There's a CDC whistleblower that just said it's not 11,000, but it's 45,000. That's not enough. And then there's a 2009 Harvard study that said only 1% of actual events are reported. Now, I can make an argument that perhaps rashes are reported at a much lower rate than death. So for the benefit of the doubt, let's say, let's say 20% of deaths are being reported. And I'm being very generous. So if you take 45,000, according to the whistleblower, or even if you take 11,000 to what they admit, so the number is either 50,000, it's like the Haggadah, 50,000 or 200,000, you choose. And then there are two other problems with theirs. I have colleagues that lost patients from the vaccine. They try to file reports. The, the system rejects their reports for no reason. And is the other problem, and I have evidence for this as well, that reports that were filed are now being scrubbed off the system and you can't even find them. So even if you, by the way, this is not a conspiracy theory, it's a conspiracy, not a theory. You know, 18 months ago, if I would have told you that COVID-19 is a bioweapon, you would say, I'm a conspiracy theorist. You know, Noah in the Bible was a conspiracy theorist until it rained. That's right. So right now, if I tell you that this is an artificially made bioweapon, it's not a, it's a conspiracy, but not a theory. Everyone agrees that this is artificially made. And I even, I, have, I know exactly when it was made and I know the patent numbers associated with the modifications. In, two, in, in 1999, Dr. Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina modified a bat coronavirus in, on a surface protein in order that it should infect human beings. Then that research became illegal in America. It got sent by the American taxpayer dollars and by Fauci to Wuhan, where that research continued and until they figured out a way to modify this virus to make it extremely more destructive to human lungs and to cause blood clots. So they took an artificial, a naturally occurring virus and slowly made two changes to it over time. It took them 22 years to uh, 20 years to, to modify that it should infect humans. And then when it does infect humans, that it should destroy tissue. Now, no one's saying I'm a conspiracy theorist. People are saying it's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy to commit genocide. It's so hard for Jewish people to believe that there could be a group of people willing to destroy It's a war against God. There's two ways of looking at life. Either you look at a, a human being is made in the image of God. If you're made in the image of God, that means your life has sanctity. If you have, your life has sanctity, then you have human rights. And if you have human rights, it's not your business or my business to decide how many people should be on the planet and who should live or die, right? The other system, the let's call it the... Um, the Darwin eugenic system, but it actually goes back 
the kind. But that system says basically who who's on top of the dominance hierarchy of life, those that have the biggest survival benefit. That inevitably leads to three categories of people, the Ubermensch, the Mensch, and the Untermensch. If you apply that 80 years ago, the Ubermensch were these Nazis who were descendants of Aryan gods who felt it was in their uh, prerogative, their right, to decide who lives or dies. So the mention, which were the Anglo-Saxons, the Europeans, could live and be slaves. And the untermenschen, the Jews, the Slavs, handicapped, gypsies, political prisoners, those needed to become dust. So it sounds like a fairy tale, except that it killed 200 million people. And it's the same exact thing now, except that it's not anti-Semitic. Right now, it's a completely different. There's a group of people that feel that they've evolved into a higher level of consciousness that in, in their new intelligence and insight allows them to determine these things. I don't think they evolved. I think they're devolved pagans. I there think they've become the Mamash what the Torah calls these Avodazarniks from before, Balpeor or Molech. That's, there's no difference from that. I understand, but but let's not let's not. We just we just want to, the CDC itself is 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 also Mr. Biden is also running a, a vaccination program. Also, let's not just, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, let's say I'm against the program, but but you know you can you can scream over here, but your people okay. in America are taking off. Okay. There are two hundred million people who are okay. took the vaccines. I'm sorry, that's all. That's all. So then let me tell you about the CDC. President Trump made an executive order that every single American should have access to hydroxychloroquine. That order right. went to um, Health and Human Services, Secretary Azar, and that eventually ended up at the CDC um, by Dr. Rick Bright. And that what Dr. Rick Bright did, instead of using the right to try legislation that would have made access to this medication to every human, every actually every American and every human being around the world, because the biggest complaint I got from Israel was, well, your CDC, your FDA is not approving it because every other, especially the Israeli government are mamish puppets to whatever the Americans do. So because the Americans weren't willing to do it, Israel wasn't willing to do. And so what did they do? They created an executive use authorization that restricted and limited access to only hospitalized patients, effectively cutting it off from uh, patients in the, in the outpatient setting at home. This has been documented by the Dr. Rick Bright himself in a documentary called Totally Under Control. These are not my words, those are his words. And furthermore, uh, then they took away the emergency use authorization of hydroxychloroquine and they used the Lancet study that showed that hydroxychloroquine kills people. The problem with that study was that it was fraud. And the Lancet had to retract that study because it was based on data that didn't exist. But the, but the FDA and the CDC used that study after it was retracted to revoke the emergency use authorization. And the reason why is that if, someone has, if a drug has emergency use authorization, other drugs can't. And three weeks later, remdesivir, made by Gilead Pharmaceuticals, received an emergency use author authorization and a $3 billion contract. And remdesivir showed no benefit. 
It reduced hospital stay by five days, but with no survival benefit and cost $3,200 a patient and IV. The drugs that I was using was cost 20 cents a pill at home and reduced death and hospitalization by 84%. That means it reduced the market share for remdesivir by 84%. So the CDC is not an authority to me. You know, according to the NIH right now, you're not supposed to treat COVID unless you're in the hospital and your oxygen is less than 92%. Now, this is a, a advice and recommendations of, of a government that wants you to die. After 18 months and dozens of studies that have shown an 85% on average benefit of healing, avoiding hospitalization and death, and you have a government agency still making that recommendation, they've completely lost all credibility. Yes, our governments are corrupt. Yes, our governments have conspired. Do you know, if I was organizing this, I would come to a world leader. I would come to Bibi or, or Bennett and say, listen, quiet. here is $500 million. Uh, I'll put it in an account that you'll know no one can trace. Just listen to us. And if you don't, we're going to kill your family. Okay. By the way, if you look historically, right, 20% of the Yidin left Mitzrayim, they say, one shit. And then there was a door in Midbar that died, so a certain percentage, right? So, I don't know, 50%, let's see. So, only one out of 10 Jews left Egypt and made it to Israel. What that means is only 10% of our people are capable of making the psychological transition from the psychological transition from slavery to redemptive thinking. That's what the problem is here. It's a, it's a collision of two systems that cannot coexist. A God-centered consciousness versus a Bodhisattva. Nothing new is under the sun. It's all the same thing. It's just the battlefield now is COVID-19. Okay, th thank you very much, Doctor. I, I want to give you a personal thank you because I used your protocol. I had, I had myself, I had COVID, and I, I was able to get the, your, your protocol here in our struggles. I'm glad you got better. I just hope that every other Jew could be like you. And I second Rabbi Kalabach too, in the same boat. I worked with him four days. Thank you, Doctor. You're welcome. So, why can't every other Jew? A personal request to tell you for me. But let's, it's not about me, it's about cholesterol. Why can't every other Jew in Eretz Yisrael have the same treatment? Whoa. Pretty powerful, huh, folks? <clears throat> pretty dang powerful. And, wow. <laughs> I'm speechless almost. It's, the man definitely knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. He attributes good health to God. He attributes the two different systems, one being the, the demonic system, the other one being the godly system. He said it's no different than it was back before the flood with Cain. I like the analogy that he used when he said that Noah was a conspiratorialist until the, it started raining. Okay. <laughs> what wisdom this man has, I'm telling you. 
Oh, if he was out here, I'd go to work for him. Um, wow, amazing. Okay, I hadn't listened to that whole thing. I'd listened to part of it, and uh, it's really got me thinking and wondering and and praying, actually. Um, we need to do a lot more of the, the latter, and uh, maybe uh, Yahweh will get us out of this mess. Okay, um, that was a half hour, roughly. Let's see how we're doing. We're doing really good. Okay, how about we listen to <clears throat> Dr. Michael Yearden, former, excuse me, former chief scientist and vice president of Pfizer's Allergy and Respiratory Research, delivers medical testimony before a rabbinical court of justice regarding the COVID-19 vaccine. This guy was in the inner circle, folks. Let's see what he has to say, okay? Here we go. Uh, Dr. Michael Eden. Uh, Dr. Michael Eden is former Pfizer vice president and chief science officer, where he spent 16 years as an allergy and respiratory researcher. He later co-founded a biotech firm that uh, the Swiss drug maker Novartis purchased for, uh, for a lot of money. So Dr. Eden, uh, thank you for joining us. If you could uh, address the, the big question of uh, should we vaccinate, vaccinate young children, if you give your perspective and opinion. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Amit. So yes, Dr. Mike Eden, I'm uh, a life, lifelong research and development specialist. I'm a PhD, so I'm a scientist rather than a medical doctor. Uh, it seems that I'm the most uh, senior person uh, from the pharmaceutical industry to be speaking out in the world. So I think I'm at least as qualified as any of the scientists advising your government and mine. I'm a UK citizen. The reason I'm speaking out is we're simply not being told the truth. It'd be too complicated to guess at the reasons, but we are simply not being told the truth. And what I'm going to do uh, in the next 15 minutes, I, I hope, is to convince you that we really should not uh, even offer these vaccines to the broad mass of children because the children themselves are at no meaningful risk of dying with the virus. The children do not pass the virus to other people. And the vaccines are of a new kind. And unfortunately, they've got a really poor safety record. So if you remember only one thing from what I tell you, I'm absolutely certain that if you mandate vaccination of all of the children, roughly 100 of them per million will die as a direct result of your decision and it will save no net lives. So let me tell you why I believe that. First, I think you know that the median age at death with COVID is 84 for females and 81 for men. It may differ slightly from country to country, but it's about the same as life expectancy. There's a very steep relationship between age and risk of death from COVID, uh, as there are with other respiratory viral diseases. Uh, but as analysed by uh, very famous epidemiologists, including John Ioannidis of Stanford, the children are at much greater risk of illness and death from influenza, not from COVID. It does not kill uh, kids. And I think we understand why. So that's my first point is that the children very rarely 
contract the virus, very rarely even get any kind of symptoms, and it's extraordinarily low probability that they die of the virus. We know why this is. To gain entry inside your cells, it has to stick to a protein on the outside of the cells called ACE2. Its name is irrelevant, but in order to gain access to your children's house to get inside the cells, they must bind to this protein and that's how they get in. It turns out that young animals, including young children, have much far fewer of these receptors. And the virus finds it difficult to gain access to them. So it's my contention uh, that the children are not at risk from this SARS-CoV-2 virus. They're not at risk from COVID. I looked up the numbers. The all-cause mortality in America of uh, children is roughly one in 10,000 per year. One in 10,000 per year. That's the tragedy. And less than 1% of those deaths uh, even were preceded by a diagnosis of, uh, of this infection. And that's just a PCR test, which you probably know is not particularly reliable and overcounts the cases. So I'm telling you that less than one in 100,000 American children who died uh, had the virus on board. And I'm going to tell you at the end of what I'm going to say, that the vaccines have got a much higher risk of death from administration of the vaccines than this one in 100,000. And that's why I'm absolutely certain if you mandate the administration of these vaccines to all children, we can predict and roughly calculate how many will die. And it's far, far more than could possibly have died of the virus itself. So I think I've dismissed, I feel, um, that there isn't a risk to children to reduce. So don't vaccinate to protect them. That's, they don't have a risk that's worth reducing. But the second point we often hear is that we must vaccinate certain people, including children, to stop them transmitting the virus to other and more vulnerable people. That's a lie in this case. I'm going to just give you a few pieces of statistics. In order to be a good source of infection, you have to have a lot of virus in your airway. If you've got very little virus, understandably, you can't give people a disease you don't have. But if you have lots of virus in your airway, you could infect somebody. But here's the thing. If you have lots of virus in your airway, you will have symptoms. It's not a negotiation. It's inevitable. And that's because the virus attacks you like a moss fire burning from one cell one cell, one cell, through the lining of your airways. That's what the virus does as it infects you. That produces symptoms. It's not possible to have lots of virus and no symptoms. And also, your body fights back to defend you. And that immune response raises your temperature. It gives you symptoms. So what I'm telling you is, unless the children were floridly symptomatic, that is ill, they can't possibly represent a transmission risk to others, and they generally do not get these strong symptoms. Statistically, two things to note, because you can check this. In Sweden, they chose never to close their primary schools, so not uh, in five years to 11 years. They did not close their schools all the way through the pandemic. Not one child died with or of or by COVID in that time, not one. They had a few hospitalizations, not one died. There's not a risk to reduce for this cohort. But here's a, a really important thing to tell you, that they don't transmit it to other people. I've just explained, you have to have a lot of virus 
to transmit it. If you do, you will be ill. And children generally aren't ill. They're not, it's not possible for them to transmit the, what they don't have. So, but where's the data? When tracking was done in Wuhan, they asked the question, um, who was the first person in a, in a household to have COVID-19? And they compared notes and they were astonished. And one of them eventually said to the other, you know, I've never found a case where the first person in a household was a child. And they said, that's funny, that's what I found too. There are no cases, no cases, where the primary or so-called index case in a family was a child. It was always an adult, they might pass it to others in the family. What that tells you is what I've just said, that children can't, essentially can't transmit it to other people because they don't get seriously ill with the virus and so they, they simply don't have enough to transmit it. Also, there's been a formal transmission study that concluded the same, that if people are without symptoms, even in the bosom of their own house, they're almost never passed the virus to anybody else. So I've told you that the kids are not at risk themselves, so please don't vaccinate to protect them against the risk they're not running. And please also don't vaccinate them to, as it were, protect other people because they don't transmit it either. But I've got a last interesting uh, remark given I've spent 32 years in the pharmaceutical industry. I, can, I cannot be described as an anti-vaxxer, although I have been smeared. I'm, I'm hugely in favour of innovative new medicines, provided they're safe. That's been my entire life and life professionally. And I've looked closely at the gene-based vaccines against COVID-19. They all induce your body to manufacture something called spike protein the thing that sticks out of the surface of this virus. And when that happens, the spike protein sometimes is caused to be expressed in places you don't want. For example, in, in your blood or in your ovaries, unfortunately. When the vaccine causes spike protein to be manufactured on the inside of your blood vessels, spike protein is capable of initiating blood clotting. And that's why 75% of the serious adverse events reported anywhere around the world all relate to bleeding and clotting. I'm telling you, as a qualified toxicologist and as 32 years R&D professional to CEO level, uh, unfortunately there is a class risk with these vaccines uh, and I even understand how it works. So the bottom line then, and I'm happy to take questions, is please don't vaccinate the children to protect them because the rate at which they fall ill and die from it is statistically zero. Please do not vaccinate the children to protect other vulnerable people because effectively zero occasions do they transmit it to other people and they don't because they don't get ill and you must be ill to have enough virus to transmit. And finally, the vaccines themselves, unfortunately, uh, because of the new technology that's being used, uh, are associated with a rate of death that's higher from clotting and bleeding than from the virus itself in children. I'm going to stop at that point and I would, I would welcome, uh, uh, welcome any questions. Thank you very much, Professor. Your words came in very loud and clear. We appreciate Thank the you. time and your efforts. It's, uh, it's a lot to uh, digest in just a few minutes, but we, uh, but we definitely have uh, many questions and we're happy that you're here to answer. But the, the main, the number one concern that I have, and that's, I presume, 
the many many of us have the same question that as far as we understand this will be implemented this has been implemented as of as in the past now if we're looking back at the past in the past uh, six months or 12 months in Israel the cases of deaths and the case of the side effects I'm sure that the professor has uh, heard about and, and saw the, the results as far as the Ministry of Health is concerned. Now, we don't hear the, this, the, these, the, these messages, we don't hear these sounds yes. the way the professor is presenting it. Yes. Therefore, mm-hmm. if, 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 if intended, as far as the Ministry of Health is concerned, as far as just uh, less than 20, uh, 24 hours ago, the head of one of the senior hospitals, top three hospitals in Israel, announced that it's just three weeks away from children under 12 years old that they will be receiving in all their schools officially this uh, this vaccine. My question to you is, if indeed do you feel that the side effects this time will be heard, or will it continue the same as as it did as far as the So, I I think if I've understood you, sir, it's that what I have said is not what your Minister of Health is saying, and that's true, it's absolutely true. Um, That doesn't mean I'm lying, in fact, I'm definitely telling the truth. Uh, Me being here today and I've been campaigning for the truth for, for over a year has cost me substantially. I have destroyed my reputation with people inside the pharmaceutical industry, and I've lost many, many friends. Uh, but nevertheless, and I have no motive whatsoever to be speaking out, except that I'm absolutely certain of my opinion. And you might say, well, how has this happened? Uh, I'll just say it very briefly, and I don't want to return to it because it makes me sound crazy. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I never commented publicly on anything in my entire life other than my professional role ever. And it's, I've started to comment because I could see lots of wrong things being done and I finally concluded they're evil things and I'm not even a religious person. So just in brief, that there isn't clearly an internationally coordinated plan to make people very frightened, to coerce them to accept vaccination, which clearly will give rise to so-called vaccine passports. It's really an electronic identity database. And once that's in place, whoever controls that database can force people to do whatever they want because your life will be permissioned based on the validity of this certificate. So uh, we could spend a week uh, on this topic, but the evidence says that, and I'll just give you two pieces of information so that you can at least give give this idea house room. When the virus arrived, certainly in Europe uh, and North America, scores of countries all at the same time within a few days discarded their influenza pandemic preparedness plans, which they had refreshed every few years for decades. They all discarded it, and they all adopted the same set of statements and driving narratives, which I found ridiculous as a scientist, because every single one of them is a lie, knowingly being told to you. And let me just give you um, two examples. One is there aren't any treatments. We are led to believe, I ask people, name me the top two drugs that are highly effective in treating COVID-19 that your government and their medical advisors have told you about, because they wouldn't hide something like that, right? And they don't know. I've found people don't know. And then I show them 
Dr. McCulloch's review with 50 authors showing that ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, um, zinc, um, um, uh, uh, fluvoxamine, redesonide, um, uh, dexamethasone, apixaban, all of these are independently proven to reduce uh, severe illness and deaths. I'm a drug discoverer. I've spent all my life in it. I've reviewed the data. The data is at least as good for every one of those as quotes the vaccines. And you're not being told this. Well, that's really strange, isn't it? So that's one thing. You're not being told about these successful treatments. And anyone who tries to propose them is ruthlessly smashed and smeared on the internet, even though they have no record of other than telling the truth, for example, myself. So treatment is one. The other one is we're all being masked, made, made to wear masks and tested often. Why? It's because we're told you could have the virus and be spreading it to people without knowing it. That is a lie. It's shown empirically in large peer-reviewed journal articles that you can go and look at if you like, where they looked at people who, were, who had the virus as judged by this PCR test, and they divided them into two groups. If you have symptoms, or if you didn't have symptoms. And they asked, how often did these individuals infect another family member? People who had symptoms, maybe one in five of them would infect another family member over the next two weeks. People without symptoms, less than 1%. And that is probably the so-called false positive rate of the test. I don't think people without symptoms ever communicate the virus to other people. And this is in the intimacy of your own home. So it's not possible, and we are being lied to, about the risk of transmission from people without symptoms, and so therefore the, the masks are unnecessary. Separately, masks have been studied to see if they reduce viral transmission, and they do not. I could go on, but absolutely everything we're being told is a lie. So when I come back to what I told you earlier, that less than one in a hundred thousand people uh, are children, who have died, uh, died, died with COVID, and that that is a lower rate of death than the perhaps one in 25,000 risk of dying after vaccination because of this spike protein and clotting and bleeding problem. Uh, those two data points are confirmable. So if we just remove all the propaganda, remove my allegations and just say, how often do children die after having had a positive test of COVID? That's a, this low number. And then how many people die within a few days of vaccination. It's a, also a low number, but it's a bigger number. The conclusion, you, gentlemen, you must draw is that if you vaccinate all children, you will kill more of them than you could possibly have saved, and you'll save no one else because the children don't transmit. And the reason you're not being told from your ministry what I've said is, unfortunately, uh, they, they've somehow um, either been hypnotized or they've agreed to tell lies to you um, but that's the position. It's, it is literally, uh, uh, it's you know, a, a, an absolutely remarkable thing that's happening. But what I'm saying, the truth is unremarkable. This is what I do for a living. Uh, my job historically as a research scientist is this, and my boss once characterized it. He said, he said, I noticed you have a particular skill for spotting faint patterns in sparse data before other people do, and that's true. I'm a sort of scientific knowledge detective. My job is to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm probably not very good at anything else scientifically, but I, I realized something bad, bad was happening very early on. And it's the first time in my entire 61 years that I've commented publicly. And I'm conscious it's extremely controversial. However, the fact that I'm the only former pharmaceutical industry person speaking out in no way 
makes me wrong. I've never been more confident in, in my grounds and statements. So I'll, I'll pause now. You may want to challenge me. I wouldn't want to challenge you, Professor. Don't worry. <laughs> You're too good to be challenged. But just, just to, to try to get an answer on my question, regarding to the children, if they would be vaccinated, as the oh, yes. government is intending to do, mm. do you think, Professor, that we will be seeing, as far as the ministry is concerned, as far as the media is concerned, as far as the public knowledge is concerned, we'll be seeing actual higher amounts of dangers and side effects. I understand. I understand. I, I'm sorry. Yes, I failed to address your question because I didn't listen carefully enough. My apologies. So your questions are very... No, it's a very good question. Essentially, would we expect uh, children to you know, be injured, essentially, uh, by, by vaccination at the same, whatever the rate is, as the same rate as other people? Obviously, I don't know is, <laughs> is the answer to that question. Um, but I would say yes on, on two grounds. Um, at least in part, the side effects from these vaccines arises from having a vigorous immune and inflammatory response to it. It, it is appropriate that your body its immune system wakes up and generates a, some level of inflammation in order to teach your body to remember what it is that you have had presented to you. And the idea is to do that without making you ill. And unfortunately, the problem is it might work. Everything might be perfect, except it, it does on occasion make people ill. And so young people will have vigorous immune systems. Really, that's why they don't get ill. They don't need any help. They don't need any artificial help in relation to, to COVID. So I think they will have vigorous immune responses uh, and, and my opinion would be we, we, will, we will unfortunately see deaths. I think it's absolutely predictable. Um, I, I would comment at this point that this situation with this virus is different from influenza. So uh, often I'm afraid the people who are misleading us, have, uh, uh, they're using what people know, what I call a lie that's adjacent to the truth. It is true that children do acquire influenza viruses and that they can get ill and they certainly die. More children, far more children die of influenza uh, than, than from COVID by a very long margin. Uh, but people have this idea that, well, we know children rarely can catch these viruses and die, and so let's vaccinate them. I'm pointing out that John Ioannidis' work and other people's work shows remarkably this sort of line of age versus um, probability of dying with the virus. And, and it just keeps going down and down as you get younger. There is no kick up like there is with influenza. Um, and so uh, I, I do expect them to suffer side effects, clotting and bleeding and so on, uh, broadly at the same rate as adults, because part of that response is due to their immune, immune system responding. So uh, I definitely wouldn't want to do it the other way around. Let's take a chance and hope that the drugs, the, the vaccines are safer in young people. I, th I think that would be reckless. We very much appreciate your time and your effort and your words of wisdom, Professor. I thank you very much. Thank you very much for the honor of speaking to you this morning. Afternoon. <clears throat> okay, again, we hear how children should not be vaccinated. I didn't know. I'm learning stuff tonight with you. Um, I didn't know that children had um, less receptors. Um, 
less ACE receptors on their cells than uh, adults do. Having been a child at one time, a long, long time ago, I remember being sick a lot. Um, German measles, measles, um, chicken pox, mumps, a uh, variety of different things. And uh, But like with, um, with mumps, let's t- take that for an example. Um, when a kid gets mumps, it's no big deal. If an adult, especially an adult male, gets mumps, <laughs> it's a big deal. It could render a male infertile or it could cause severe swelling in the uh, genitalia of the man, um, the, the, um, the testes, which is quite painful. And uh, yeah, quite painful. And um, so there's an instance right there where the child gets over it fairly easy. And because, perhaps it's because of prepubescence, you know, it's, they're not, as they haven't hit puberty yet. And I don't know about the ones that are, um, are pubescent, you know, 12, 13 and older, um, how they fare. But uh, all I know is that uh, those of us that were young and got it got over it pretty well. And, you know, our parents didn't get it either for that much. Um, they didn't get the chicken pox. They didn't really get the measles that I could remember. My, my grandfather got the mumps. He caught them from me, um, which when I get to heaven, I still have to apologize again for. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so... If they don't get sick as often, then don't touch them. Don't don't fix something if it ain't broke. Okay, an old saying: if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay, so anyway, um, that haven't been said. Uh, this lady here, Jane Ruby, Doctor Jane Ruby, very very intelligent woman. Um, she, uh, well, I'm just gonna let her explain herself. Okay. And uh, I'll, we'll be taking a short leave while she's on, very short, and I'll be back uh, in the blink of an eye, hopefully. Dr. Jane Ruby is, uh, has a PhD in psychology and economics. Dr. Ruby Amit, also has... Yes. Amit, I'm, I'm happy to do a quick introduction for the okay. rabbis. So please Thank go you. ahead. Thank you so much, and shalom, rabbis and everyone. I'm Dr. Jane Ruby. Uh, I have, uh, I have, I don't have much to add to the giants that have come here before me today, like Dr. McCullough, Dr. Yeadon, the professor who just spoke, Dr. Zelenko. But what I do want to, uh, I, I do want to let you know, I have 20 years of experience in pharmaceutical drug development here in the United States, and I've also been before the EMA. Uh, I, I come to you more. Uh, I believe as, as a Jewish mother and a grandmother, because I'm concerned about the genetic modification of these shots. I don't call them vaccines because I don't believe they confer immunity. Uh, the reason I say that, if you, if you don't believe me, you can verify uh, at the Moderna website, which is the same technology as Pfizer. On their website, they explain very proudly that they are changing your DNA. This is a rever- irreversible, it is for life, and I fear, like the other doctors, that uh, life will be shortened. It is uh, changing permanently your God-given genetic material. Uh, and I fear for the children of Israel. Uh, this mRNA is a genetic code that is embedded. Technically, it's actually a, a computer-generated facsimile. It does not occur in nature. It is not organic. And that's why it's very dangerous, because it hasn't been tested in humans before. It is the lipid nanoparticle that can only be seen in an electron microscope, so tiny, it can literally walk through your cells. So when the other doctors told you this material goes right into every cell in your body, 
And they also told you that it forces your body to become a perpetual spike, uh, the dangerous, toxic part of the coronavirus. You become a toxic spike factory. Uh, the reason this is important is that um, I just fear that forevermore, uh, the people of Israel, the children of Israel will carry this. They will, they will have their DNA altered uh, forever. And as you've mentioned before, some other experts have mentioned, and I'll finish with this, that the spike proteins end up concentrating. We know this. There are have been subsequent preclinical studies that showed that these spike proteins, they're being produced in the billions once you get injected, even injected once. And they go all through the body and these spike proteins accumulate. They have an affinity for certain areas of the body, although they go everywhere. And some of those areas, the, the one I'm most concerned about, uh, and this, this became a signal out of Israel, believe it or not, is the ovarian concentration. Uh, there is actually, because it's so serious and because the signal was so high in Israel, there is now a study. It is registered on clinicaltrials.gov, and it's called the Ovarian Reserve Study. I'm happy to send a link later on uh, to Amit. And I'm going to be watching this study very closely. They're comparing women who are... Uh, uh, of childbearing age who took the shot and those who do not want the shot. And they're going to assess over time their ovarian reserve. What does that mean? The health and longevity of their eggs, their ability to have children in the future. What I fear, rabbis, is that this injection across all four of the companies, I know we focus on Pfizer because it was an exclusive deal with your country, but I fear um, that this, this, push and this high level of inoculation in your country is going to sterilize at least two-thirds of your women of childbearing age. I pray uh, to Hashem that this does not happen, but it is something I'm very concerned about. It's the fertility, the future of our people. Uh, if there are any questions, I'm happy to answer them. I know you have to move along, so uh, have, have a good prayer session later. Uh, excuse me. Uh, thank you very much for your for your talk. I just like to know: is is the, the 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 new technology is different than any stem cell technology of other other uh, of vaccinations until today? Uh, you might be referring to. Oh, I'm sorry. You might be referring to those that are up and coming, like the Novavax. They actually use a slightly different technology. Right but they, they, they get the same job done. They use a moth. They put the genetic material in a moth uh, or a spider, and they get that animal to produce billions of spikes. They take the spikes, they extract it, they embed it into a, a nanoparticle, which is uh, uh, often an industrial uh, molecular piece of sheet. And this is all at the nanoparticle level. There are billions of those in the vial and you are injected with that. And so forevermore, you are, your body is fighting these toxic spike proteins. These are not natural spikes that occur on the coronavirus. And by the way, no one's ever isolated a real coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 from a sick human being. But these spikes that these uh, injections are causing people to make by the billions, um, these are um, not natural or organic. They've never been seen in, in nature before. They, they don't come from, uh, from uh, natural sources. They, they are all based on a computer-generated uh, model. But the technology is not a technology that was 
that is used only only on on the on the COVID nineteen uh, vaccinations. It could be theoretically used on, on any on the triple M's on on any anything. That's so correct, that, Rabbi. Yep, that's correct. And in fact, with SARS-CoV-1, they tried to do this in the animal population, but all the animals died within two weeks. So when they got to SARS-CoV-2, the reason they skipped the animal studies, which we call preclinical, uh, is because they knew that they could not survive the preclinical phase and they would not be allowed to go on. Uh, one company I worked for, very famous uh, antidepressant, when it was in its animal studies in 1990s, uh, six beagle dogs died of a heart attack. The FDA shut it down. We have a very different FDA, as Dr. Zelenko told you today. We have very different uh, agencies. They are derelict in their duties. Uh, they shut that study down for six beagle dogs. We have, as you know now, tens of thousands of human beings dead, and nobody, nobody seems to find a threshold to stop this. So I agree with my predecessors, especially Dr. McCullough. This is not fit for human beings, and I fear what it's the permanent damage it's going to do to the people of Israel and the children of Israel most of all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Jane Ruby. Wow. I didn't know that those spikes didn't exist outside of nature before. See, I'm learning a lot of stuff tonight. This is... Uh, Interesting and scary at the same time. Um, wow. Um, and now they're thinking of other technologies that are going to do the same thing. I don't know. Well, the, um, a Franken vaccine, I guess you would call it, or a Franken cure, or I don't know. It's, uh, it's some really weird stuff. And, uh, I kind of hope they don't succeed. Um, I've been wondering while I've been listening to this, how this is going to work into the the mark, you know, the right hand or the forehead mark as mentioned in Revelation. And uh, I'm seeing more and more that this is a precursor, is a, a test model to see how people re react, how many people will take it, given the chance. And um, it's kind of scary. When you see people that know better taking it just because they want to travel or because they want to protect somebody that they love. Well, the other one's kind of noble. The second one's noble, but the first one, you know, um, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know what to say about that. And if you know me being uh, lost for words, in such a time as this and in such a fashion, it's not, my mo so what i'd like to do is real quick i'm going to go back here and see how we're doing all right we're right on an hour and 10 minutes so we could probably go a couple more of these i think all right so we did all of that lady um let's see if each one of those is a half hour I want to go with um, with this guy right here because he's <laughs> he's painfully honest and uh, not that the others weren't, but he's almost um, narcissistically painfully honest and just the way he he talks and everything. He's um, I will be heard, you know, <laughs> and I kind of respect that. So uh, let's listen to um, Professor Retsef Levy. Um, he is, he delivers his testimony to the rabbinical court of justice in Jerusalem. 
So here we go. But just to mention that uh, he's a professor of operations. Uh, you, you don't need to introduce me. I will tell about myself in a okay, bit. No it, it's, not that it's not that important. I believe that I hope that I'm going to talk about things that will make sense regardless of my title. So, uh, but, but let, okay, me, let so me. The microphone is yours. Please go ahead. My, my name is Retsef. I was born in Israel. Um, I spent almost 12 years in the Israeli military as an intelligence officer in the area of special operations. And somehow my career took me to academia pretty much by mistake. And over the last 15 years, I, I, I'm a faculty member at the MIT Sloan School of Management. This is a, a university at the, at, in Cambridge, uh, Boston, near Boston in the US. And I've been uh, doing research um, in the area of um, uh, risk management and advanced analytics, uh, namely using data to inform decisions in various complex environments, uh, but healthcare systems and health public health systems, as well as uh, food and agriculture systems, have, was a was a major part of uh, is a major part of my my research focus. And uh, during COVID, I've been um, consulting with several uh, states here in the U.S. Um, around protecting uh, nursing homes. Um, and other issues related to uh, predicting how the pandemic will, will evolve. And I also have been, I've been interacting with several ministers in, uh, in Israel um, and been involved through, with, with others uh, in trying to uh, impact uh, what, is, uh, what is happening in Israel as well. And uh, let me just start. I'm, I'm, I, I personally, I'm vaccinated. And um, I'm in general, when, when I think about vaccines, I think uh, vaccines are one of the most uh, important inventions of medicine or modern medicine. Uh, so I'm, I'm a very, in, in my base, in my baseline, I'm a very pro-vaccine. Um, I do not believe that we are in front of a Holocaust. Uh, I, I will try to be a little bit more measured, but I, I want to take you back and remind you um, what is the standard process of approving vaccines and drugs in general? Uh, this is typically a process that takes uh, about four to five years. And uh, the first order things that are being tested, specifically at large scale in multiple stages that are being scrutinized, um, mostly by the FDA and other regulatory authorities. Um, the, the, this is a process that the, is, is, is assessing both the efficacy of the drug or the vaccine, as well as the long-term um, uh, side effects or risks that could could happen, and not generically happen, but also to sub subpopulations, right? When you think about risk, and, and I'm going to get back to this in a, in a bit, the risk is not uniform to everyone, uh, especially not in the context of COVID. So, uh, and I think that there is a lot of there is a lot of misleading uh, information is being provided to justify certain things without being very specific about what the risk is to different populations. Now, what happened with the COVID vaccines is, a, is really an unprecedented uh, process in which in less than a year, uh, it was not only approved, uh, it was not only allowed to be used, and, and I don't want to use the word approved because this vaccine was never approved uh, even up to now. It's being allowed under a special process that is called is that it's called emergency use authorization. That's a very special process that was not used too many times in the history uh, by the federal government here in the US. And it's designated to emergency situations when there is an immediate life-threatening condition where it's justified to bypass the regular process. 
And up to that, up to today, right? All the vaccines, not only the one that is being used in Israel, uh, are not approved by the FDA, although for many months it was misleadingly uh, presented by the Ministry of Health in, the, in Israel as approved by the FDA, using the word approved. It's not approved, it's unapproved. It's being allowed to be used under emergency authorization. So and I'm, I'm mentioning that because under this, the only reason why you would even consider using it without further study is if you believe that the population on which you are using it is under an immediate health threat from the condition that this vaccine is supposed to address. Um, and to be frank with you, I think that when it comes to the high-risk population and what is special about COVID-19, that it affects people in a dramatically different way. Uh, people that are older, you know, over 55, over 65, you sort of can argue where is the threshold. And people that have certain comorbidities are dramatically affected differently than people that are younger, healthy, and especially kids. So the range between kids and let's say the, the range between, a, let's say a 16 year old, 15 year old kid that is healthy and a, an adult of 75 year old is factor of 8,500 in terms of the risk, more for the older person. That's a very unusual, uh, that, that's a very specific characteristics of COVID-19 that is not, for example, is not true for flu. Flu actually uh, risks, the, the risk from flu is high both at the younger ages and at the older ages. What luckily we have with COVID that it actually affects younger and healthier people much, much differently than older and sicker people. So if you ask me, I think that potentially there was a justification to use this emergency use authorization when it comes to uh, older people, higher risk people that had a, a substantial uh, uh, risk of death or serious, serious illness. And again, I'm not taking away anything that was said here before on the potential other treatments and therapeutics. I think it's a strategic uh, direction that needs to be pursued regardless of anything. Uh, and it's unfortunate that we did not uh, uh, pursue that. And in fact, if, if you would ask me what to recommend to the government here, one of the recommendations uh, to any government, but the government in Israel, one of my recommendations would be to invest much more in additional therapeutics to COVID-19, uh, because I think it's 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 it should be part of a portfolio of of things that we should do against this uh, virus. Um, so so that's kind of one thing that I would like to start. And one of the things that has to come with deviation from the main main standard process specifically going in a year or less than a year, or with maybe when it comes to the kids, that maybe only 2,000 kids were tested so far in a clinical trial. That means that only 1,000 of them received the vaccine. The other one did not receive it because it's placebo, right? It's a control, it's a controlled experiment. Uh, one of the mandates that should have been implemented uh, with that is a very, very detailed and thorough surveillance uh, program about side effects. And I think that, again, before talking about opinions, a fact is that Israel as a, as a country has nothing of that at the moment. Currently, there is no surveillance that I would call effective surveillance or something near that after side effects. 
I don't want to get into conspiracy theories that there is a, a, an attempt to shut down things, but at the very least, there is no transparent or easy or any way for doctors to report in a systematic way about side effects. Uh, and that's very unfortunate because uh, in Israel, you have all the conditions to be leading on that because we have uh, a, a state-level health system that is very coordinated, very integrated. So presumably, one could have collected all the data needed to do that, to conduct such a surveillance. Uh, in the U.S., there is a better surveillance, but it's also uh, suffering from some flaws that are characteristics to the very fragmented healthcare system in the U.S. Just to give you a very illustrative example, if you think about EMS, emergency medical services, in Israel, we have one national emergency service, Magen David Adom. Uh, in the U.S., every town has its own service. So if you want to collect the data in Israel, you just go to one place, you, you have it. If you want to collect the same data in the U.S., you're going to have to go and try to integrate across many, 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 many cities. So maybe they have the benefit of the doubt. We in Israel don't have the benefit of the doubt. Okay, so now let's just talk about kids specifically. Uh, I, I think where, you, where things come to kids, it's very obvious that there is no emergency threat, right? I, I think that uh, that's something that's going to be very hard to argue that there is an emergency threat. And I think that here there is a lot of misleading information uh, that unfortunately the Ministry of Health is presenting facts or semi-facts in a, in a very wrong context. So I'm sure you heard that one in six kids that were positive for COVID-19 were hospitalized. That might be maybe a correct fact, but that fact does not mention several other facts that are very, very important to put that number in context. The first number is that between 40 to 70 or even more of, the, of those kids that got hospitalized were not hospitalized because of COVID-19. They were hospitalized by because of other medical reasons. Many of them were had maybe very significant other medical conditions, unfortunately. And while they were hospitalized, they were tested positive for COVID and were defined as COVID patients. This is something that was discovered already by several uh, studies in the world that not only in Israel, but across the world, there is an inflated number or num infl uh, there are inflated numbers uh, that um, many kids that were in the hospital for other medical reasons were classified as, co as COVID-19 patients. By the way, that's true also for adults, adult patients. So when you hear the current numbers of the number of uh, uh, serious ill uh, patients, seriously ill patients currently, I would discount this number um, and let me just give you a very recent example. We just heard about a kid that played with the, uh, some explosive material. It exploded in his face. Unfortunately, the kid was rushed to the hospital and was put under coma as part of his treatment and was tested positive. This, this kid is going to be counted as a serious uh, ill, Ill, Ill patient, uh, critical pa patient a, a, a child that is critically ill with COVID-19. That's going to be the statistics that you're going to hear if you read the newspapers or the uh, Ministry of Health uh, uh, dashboard. That so, weird. so that's kind of one thing. This one of six is, is something very, very unreliable to think about. The second thing that is even more important, 
We know that the number of positive cases that were diagnosed is by far less than the true number of people that were exposed to COVID-19. In fact, the Ministry of Health uh, itself did recently a survey of blood samples from uh, kids. There's a, a bank of um, a bank of blood. This is actually not me. This is data from Ministry of Health that is being done on a regular basis. This is not just specialized specialized to COVID. It's being done to monitor and surveillance and have a surveillance of uh, <clears throat> different viruses in the community. So it's representative of the population, and that study found that the, at the ages of 12 to 15, for example, 30% of the samples that were taken in uh, March 2021, very recently, suggested that 30% of them were exposed to COVID-19 and already have antibodies. In a second, I will tell you what that, that means. <clears throat> but the first thing that that means is that it's, it's not unlikely that 30% of the kids in Israel, or even more, are actually already protected against COVID-19. And by the way, natural exposure to the virus is providing you a far more robust and long-term immunity uh, against the virus that is actually more robust against variants of the virus than the vaccine that the more we learn about it provides probably relatively short-term uh, protection that is more narrow to the parts of the part of the, uh, the virus that was exposed to the body in the vaccine, which is only small part of the virus versus when you are naturally uh, exposed, you are exposed to the entire virus and you develop a much more robust set of antibodies and including a long-term memory uh, of immunity. And that's the reason why we don't see any reinfections or any infections of people that were already exposed. So when we when we talk about the risk to kids, if you actually assume that 30% of the kids were exposed, the risk is essentially zero, right? And that's being confirmed by very vast studies that came from very recently from the UK that unfortunately are not being publicized by the Ministry of Health, where they looked uh, at, at close to half a million kids that were exposed to COVID-19 and were tested positive and looked at, at who, what, what, which one of them was actually in the hospital because of COVID-19. And what they found is that the base risk of mortality is 0.0005%, essentially zero, and similarly the, the risk of hospitalization. But here, here's another thing that people are not emphasizing. When you actually look Okay, let's give that a break for a minute and see if it clears up. Um, I don't like that. Hmm. Interesting. Didn't do that last night. I wonder if there's some kind of uh, atmospherics going on around here, because this is a Wi-Fi setup going to a tower somewhere around here. Let's try this again. Look, look on most of the deaths and most of the hospitalization. These are kids that are not healthy at their baseline. So the risk for healthy kids is even much smaller than that because the proportion of sick kids, people, kids with oncology, with cancer, kids with some serious heart problems, in the, the number of deaths from COVID, in the number of children that are hospitalized because of COVID is far bigger than the proportion in the population. So the, the risk specifically for healthy kids is actually very, very low. So let me now tell you a little bit more about why do I think that we are under detecting currently the side effects. 
And I'm going to talk about a very specific study that we just finished with the Magen David Adom, with the National EMS in Israel. Uh, this is based on their data and it was done in collaboration with them. So it's a very reliable data that looked on two and a half years from 2019 to 2020 and the first half of 2021 on the number of calls to MADA, to the Israeli EMS, for events classified retrospectively by the teams that went and took care of the patient as cardiac arrest. This is when someone drops and their heart stopped breathing, stopped uh, 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 acting, and uh, heart attacks. So two different classes of calls. <clears throat> and what we've observed from the data is that there is an unexplained dramatic increase in the number of these calls in 2021, uh, specifically 25% when you look on the entire population, but for some subgroups, for example, women in ages 20 to 29, the increase is 83%. This is something really dramatic. And to make things more concerning, when we look on the weekly number of calls, throughout this entire period of time. And I just want to remind you, 2019 is a period of time when we don't have COVID-19 and we don't have vaccines. 2020 is a time where we have two waves of uh, COVID-19 pandemics and we don't have vaccines. And 2021, we have the third wave of, of pandemic and vaccines. And when we look and analyze it statistically, there is a significantly statistical correlation, significant statistical correlation between the, uh, 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 the vaccine rollout in this specific age group. So we don't look on the number of doses given to the population. We look on the number of doses given to the specific age population and the number of calls in the specific age population, EMS calls, emergency calls. And we see very, very striking statistical correlation between the two, where basically... Uh, we see an increase once the second dose, the number of second dose of the vaccine are going up. Then we see a decrease uh, in the number of second doses and in the number of cases. And then we see another increase that can be uh, associated with the decision of Israel to give a single dose to people that recovered from COVID. By the way, that's a special policy, unique policy that only Israel implemented. Nobody else implemented that. Uh, this is in spite of the fact that we don't see any, any, anyone that was infected being reinfected. But nevertheless, Israel decided to give a, a single dose to people that recovered. And that single dose seems to be actually correlated with another spike of events. Now, now, what I'm saying, what I'm telling you is not a proof of causality based on the highest scientific uh, threshold that usually people will apply. But it's very concerning because we don't see the same impact during 2020. Okay, give it a rest. <clears throat> see, folks, these things are, look like they were recorded on YouTube. And if you've been on YouTube and you've used it, you know there are a lot of bugs. A lot of things happen on YouTube that shouldn't happen. So, I don't know. Either that or it's atmospherics here, but I, I sort of doubt it. So hey, let's go again. When we had the only the pandemic, so someone that says, hey, these, these events are maybe the result of the virus, 
needs to explain why we don't see any signal in 2020, right? And we only see the signal when the vaccines are starting. Now, to make things even more concerning, this is actually can be explained by things that we already know about the vaccine. The Ministry of Health already posted a report that connects this vaccine with very probable causal uh, connection to a condition that is called myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart. It's a life-threatening condition. And they assessed that the risk for... Okay, let's give it a break again. I think if this keeps up, we're going to end with this fellow here and uh, do another show another time. Young people, specifically age 16 and 19, is one in 3,000. Now, they try to portray this as a, as a simple uh, condition, but the fact of the matter that when you look on the number of what happened to those kids, half of them spent time in the critical unit, in the critical intensive unit, which means that that was not that easy. And I can tell you that regardless of what the outcome of your, um, of, of out, out of such a condition, first of all, we don't know the long-term outcomes, but at the very least, that kid will not be able to to any physical exercise for at least three to six months. I, I think there are doctors on the call. I think that they will confirm that that's the practice currently. Like if you had a myocarditis, if you had a heart inflammation, you have to rest for at least uh, three, three months or if not six months. Now, the, the other thing about this is that they also only looked on people that positively reported about symptoms that, and they were tested and diagnosed positively with myocarditis. And when you read the literature on myocarditis, what you see, and I'm talking about articles from the last 20 years in the top clinical journals, New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA, these are premier clinical journals, maybe the best, the best clinical journals in the world. So that's a very serious um, um, knowledge, very based on knowledge. What we know about this condition that is very hard to diagnose and the two things that are the two primary facts about this condition is that A, it's often being confused with a heart attack because it's hard to be diagnosed. And the second thing is based on autopsy that people did over the years to young individuals that suddenly got an unexplained cardiac arrest and died. They found that in 12 to 20% of the cases, the reason was a, an asymptomatic myocarditis that caused that death. Now, what do we see? We actually see exactly an increase in cardiac arrest in ages 16 to 39, and an increase in the heart attacks in ages 16 to 20, uh, 39. So there is a very natural explanation of what we see that is consistent with what we know about myocarditis. And we already know that myocarditis is uh, connected to Uh, the vaccine and is oh, come on, man. primarily connected to young individuals getting the vaccine. Now, let me tell you a few more things. So the, 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 the one thing that I think we need to do Im Im immediately is to check for each one of these individuals when they were vaccinated, where they were vaccinated, were they exposed to COVID-19 and so forth. And unfortunately, the Ministry of Health is not willing 
to listen even. We, we sent that report to the Ministry of Health twice, and we haven't heard back. I can tell you that when I sent this report to scientists in the advisory committee to the government of the UK on vaccines, not only the COVID-19 vaccine, on all vaccines, they went, came back in five minutes, put me in touch with the equivalent of the FDA in, in the UK, and they immediately asked to read the report. And I can tell you that this report is in the hands of other regulatory agencies in other countries without getting into details because they asked me to keep it confidential. But it's not, in, it's not getting any response from the Ministry of Health. And that's to me, regardless again, what is the right thing to do, to, to do. What I learned as a risk management expert is that if you have processes like that, you are on the way to have a disaster. Because that, that's a red flag to me if people are not willing to check. How can, you, how can you argue that you don't want to check something like that? Even if, let's say that there were no vaccines, you just see an increase of, of, a, of conditions that are not supposed to happen to young individuals. Suddenly it's happening and you don't want to test, check what, what is going on. That's to me a very concerning sign that decisions are not being made in the right way they're supposed to be, be made while, while becoming to kids that are at low risk to start with, at extremely low risk, and we want them to get vaccinated. And, and let me, sorry, let me just tell you a few more facts. One of the things that the Ministry of Health Committee that was appointed to investigate... Boy, somebody does not want us to hear this. ...to get the myocarditis found was that most of the cases that occurred happened after the second dose. They, they investigated 62 cases, 56 of them happened after the second dose of the vaccine. When they looked at deaths, they basically decided to look only two days after the vaccines, the, the vaccine shot. That's something that is not clear why they decided to do that. But they also say there's something very interesting that they say that the other six cases after the 62 that happened after the second, the, the first dose were people that were, the, they were tested. It turned out that they had COVID without knowing that. And that's, that's matching exactly what we see, that we see the uh, association with the second vaccine and with vaccinating people that recovered with a single dose. And now I want to connect that to the, uh, the early fact that I mentioned to you. If indeed 30% of the kids 12 to 15 are already exposed to COVID-19 and they don't even know about that, what could happen if we go and give them two doses of this vaccine? Think about this. This is this. Is, so my point is, we we should not think about the decision as not vaccinating or vaccinating everybody with two doses. There are more middle grounds that should be considered. Potentially, there are kids that are higher risk. Maybe we want to vaccinate them. We can do serology tests to kids to see if they were exposed, and then make a decision of giving them maybe one dose. Uh, by the way, when you look on the Almost there, folks. Uh, trials that Moderna and Pfizer Third one. did. Fourth one. One dose was almost uh, uh, bringing everybody to maximum level of protection. Uh, the, the reason why they decided to go, to, to go with two doses was the frail people, the very frail people, 
uh, they need another booster. That's actually something that we see also in, in, in flu vaccines, that their immune system of young individuals is very different than the immune system of old people, right? But for some reason, they decide to go with one size, fit them all. And I don't think that that's justified. So if, to summarize what I'm trying to tell you here, A, this vaccine is unapproved. It's only for emergency use authorization. We can not claim, there is no valid claim that kids are under immediate threat that... Ah, come on, it's a summation. It justifies emergency authorization. I don't think that that's valid. And we already know that vaccinating them for the sake of others is not going to be really practical or relevant because we know that vaccinated people can get infected and infect others. And we also know, as you already heard from others, that kids are not playing a major role in infecting others. So the only question... Come on, Lord, just about 30 more seconds. question is whether it's worthwhile to give the to give this vaccine to the kids to protect the kids. And in that, if that's the question, given that it's just emergency authorization, just for this, it's not appropriate to give it to them. But to make things worse, we Okay, I can't handle it anymore. Plus he's almost done. His key point, not good to give it to the children. Another key point, children have a better immunity than adults. Where have we heard that before? Oh, that's right, tonight, earlier, huh? Um, or I should say this morning. <laughs> um, what else? People that have had it, when they get the shot, tend to get sick again. <clears throat> Giving it to somebody that's already had COVID and maybe didn't know it causes them to get sick. So and he makes a good point here. The one shot should do it. It's when you give the second shot, he's given the statistics. When you give the second shot, it causes people to get sick. And why would it do that? It would do that because the first shot has destroyed your immune system. The second shot is reinfecting you. Okay? And it's causing your immune system, if there's any left, to go into overtime to make more proteins to fight the, the, the disease or whatever it is. So it's a sham, it's bogus, and everything else. So, folks, um, I'm going to go ahead and end this show tonight. It is 1.30 in the morning here, and I'm tired, and there's some something going on with uh, either the atmospheres perks here or, or maybe this show was recorded that way, you know, uh, not the show, but the, uh, the interview. Because, like I said, Skype... Um, poses some very interesting problems when you use it. We use it in an emergency. <laughs> emergency use authorization is Skype, okay? Um, anyway, um, tomorrow night, Brian should be here. We'll have a regular show. Tuesday night, I'm going to try to do more of this. So I think maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I don't take that as gospel okay i have to have a break once in a while so tuesday's probably for sure and then we'll see what happens the rest of the week so anyway folks be blessed um thank you for putting up with all the little idiosyncrasies that happened tonight both my fault and uh things that are beyond my control and um 
Well, like I always do, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. May he watch your going out, your coming in, your rising up, and your lying down. May he bring you peace. May he bring you shalom. In Yeshua's holy name, amen and amen. Good night, everybody. Or good morning. <laughs>